welcome to Christ for You, a podcast of RCA Lutheran Church and School, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I am Pastor Andrew Packer. Today I wanted to interview the Reverend John Widmer, who is here at RCA Lutheran Church, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. He runs a prison ministry and a ministry to those struggling with drug addiction out of our church. It's called Lutheran Mercy Care Ministries. John was actually one of the very first people I ever talked to from Pagosa Springs eight years ago when I was called here. Uh, he called me on the phone to tell me about the church, and I'm excited for him to be my first interview here on this podcast. So, John, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, it's going to take a while, dude. Um, I need to go all the way back. I mean, you may notice that I, that I have an accent. So, uh, I was born in Switzerland. I was raised in the... Swiss Reformed Evangelical Reformed Church. I was baptized and confirmed. And uh, after college, I immigrated to New York with a Swiss bank. And I worked there for uh, 22 years on Wall Street trading financial products. I also ran a, a large trading operation for the bank in New York. During that time, I got married uh, to Maureen. Um, we got married in the uh, Catholic Church, um, which it wasn't a mass, it was just a regular uh, kind of uh, marriage ceremony because I was reformed and the priest was Irish. I mean, he was from Ireland and he um, came to our reception. At the end of the reception, they didn't want to leave because he was three sheets to the wind. <laughs> so it was a typical Irish, uh, I guess, Swiss wedding. It was a lot of fun. So we had two kids. We had uh, my daughter Monique and uh, my son Ian. Monique uh, was was um, baptized in the Catholic Church. Oh, by the way, I just found out recently that that church was uh, used in the Godfather movie because it was in Whitestone, New York. And huh. um, I just found that out recently. I didn't know that at the time. And my son was uh, baptized in Switzerland in the Reformed Church. So as you can tell, we were slightly confused when it came to our faith which meant we never went to church um you know money and uh, material wealth and power i guess became our idols uh, while we were in new york so then eventually uh, so 25 years ago um the bank decided to restructure and they offered me a position in uh, in switzerland and i they, uh, declined it and uh, i took a buyout and we moved to pagosa springs when I first got here, I remember we were looking at the bed and breakfast, which uh, some of you may remember as Echo Manor Inn, which is now the Winslow on the Shire. <clears throat> we came to town and I told my wife, you know, I'm not living in this pissy hick town. But <laughs> as you can tell, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so we actually, for uh, we uh, we joined the Lutheran this church actually for a, uh, short time pastor heine was uh, the pastor back then and bob camrath the pastor was the retired pastor because our son went to the lutheran school here they had a six to eighth grade uh, seven or eight boys and i know they drove the the teacher crazy and ultimately we took our son out and he went to the public school and that was the end of our our um you know uh, uh, church life for. and then uh, let's see where do i go on from here because this leads to my walk with, with Christ, so it's going to be a little extensive here. Well, I guess that kind of gets to the next question then. Mm -hmm. May I set you up? Um, 
What what drove you to start uh, Lutheran Mercy Care Ministries, a, a prison ministry and ministry of addicts? What what got you to that point? Well, because I'm an addict myself. Uh, that I found that out. Um, well, I brought some of the bad habits from uh, from Wall Street to Pagosa Springs. Uh, um, so we, we bought a uh, bed and breakfast, the Echo Manor Inn. So my wife ran that, and I started up a stock brokerage operation in town with Morgan Stanley. And uh, But I uh, was used to taking uh, huge financial risks. Uh, it falls into the, into the category of gambling addiction. And um, so about seven or eight years into our stay in Pagosa, I started to... Um, borrow money from friends, family, and then ultimately I embezzled $172,000 from the local Rotary Club, whose president I was at the time. And, um, you know, needless to say, I got arrested. My uh, wife turned me in and uh, she, um, and, you know, anyway, she turned me in and I ended up in jail. So that's when things changed. Uh, in jail, there, um, there were a couple of things that happened. The first night I spent in jail, I had just uh, been arraigned in, co- at the, in court and uh, faced nine charges of felony theft, which added up to a minimum of 36 years in prison. So that night I, uh, I had an anxiety attack uh, thinking about all this. But then I remembered my mother's faith and I remembered my church life in Switzerland when I was a teenager. And I prayed. I prayed to God and asked him, to lift this burden off of me, to uh, uh, lead me to a better life. And uh, this may sound a little funky, I guess, but the anxiety disappeared. So then I went to Bible study where I uh, saw Bob Camrath again, who was the leader of the jail ministry team. And I also went to AA, one meeting of AA, but that helped me realize that I had a, a problem because my story matched the uh, story of the alcoholics. It's, it's just, it was not that the substance was different. It was, it was money, it wasn't alcohol. And then I um, spent six months in jail. I ended up getting 15 years of probation. But in jail, I made a decision. Oh, the reason I made that decision is because the first or the second week in jail, these men came through the door. They were all Christian men and they were preaching forgiveness. They're preaching Christ. They're preaching about peace that you can find in God. And that overwhelmed me totally. And that was also the reason why I then decided that someday I'm going to be on the other side of the fence and I'm going to give back what I've received in the darkest hour of my life. And that's how my journey with the jail ministry began. So after six months in jail, the um, the captain, the jail captain, Mencor, uh, let me come back, which is very unusual because usually you have to wait two or three years before they let you come back in with a felony conviction. So he let me come in and I joined the, the jail ministry team. Bob Camrath returned to Texas and a month later he died of a massive heart attack. And I remember his wife telling me, Doris, she said to me, you know, John, you were... Um, um, Bob's last project on this side of heaven and um, yeah that kind of blew me away when she said that and so now where am I going from here <laughs> let's see <laughs> so then um, yeah so I took over the jail ministry team then I uh, 
I continued this journey and then there, there I, I got involved with the Kairos prison ministry and again there was God was involved too I mean when I look back on my life God's hands were all over the place I mean he, he, can, he, he led me in the right direction he protected me I mean the reason I'm talking about the Kairos uh, David Kuhn was the one who uh, who um, was leading the Kairos team here in town and he asked me over and over again look you need to join come with me to Santa Fe uh, Santa Rosa New Mexico and we go to the prison and I kept saying no 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 I can't do this I can't afford it I have too much work and I just can't do it well then about three years into this uh, thing with him he uh, says to me uh, he has a stroke well now he comes to me and says well can you drive me I can no longer drive well, I guess what? That's how I got involved with the Kairos prison ministry, and that was in 2005. And um, and uh, we drove down there every month, and then we had these weekends that we spent with the inmates. And um, then in 2012, so David got worse and worse. So ultimately, he was on crutches trying to get into the prison. So the last trip we took before he died. We were driving down to Santa Rosa. We get the call that the prison is in lockdown. And uh, David says, well, I guess we're not going to go. And I said, no, 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 we're going because I got to go to Santa Fe because I got to do a fitting for my tuxedo because my son was getting married that year. So we kept on driving. We get to Santa Fe and um, the call comes again and says, hey, the lockdown was lifted. Come on down. It took David um, half an hour to get from the parking lot to the chapel. And uh, when we were done, he was overjoyed. He, um, he was extremely happy that he was able to do this. And uh, two, two weeks later, he passed away. So now uh, let me go back um, to the time I was released from jail. Because obviously I wasn't going to go back into banking again or being a stockbroker. So when I was released, I walked to the bed and breakfast, uh, which was three miles outside of town, found it totally empty and spent the night there. And the next day I did call Bob Camrath and ask him if he could help me out. He brought me, I never forgot that, he brought me socks and underwear. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then he, but he also did something else. He put me up at the San Juan Motel. He, um, he, uh, took me to Methodist Church for a food basket and then on Sunday so I was released on Thursday and on Sunday he takes me to uh, our Savior this was the first time probably in 25 years I went to church and it was overwhelming to hear the hymns and and uh, Pastor Boland was preaching uh, and then after the service uh, Bob says to me hey this afternoon you need to come over to Cherry Brinton's house I said okay so I went over there and uh, the most wonderful thing happened. Uh, Jerry says to me and Lois said to me both, hey, you can move into our garage apartment. Um, Dave Hemauer, who was the contractor, was also a church member back then, says to me, hey, I need somebody to uh, help me out on the construction sites. And he hired me. Uh, Gary Graberger, who was another member who was uh, very well off, he gave me $1,000 in cash and told me I, I could buy a car for $5,000. That's how my life after jail began. And that was thanks to the generosity of, of the members of this church. So I don't want to talk about the construction career I had. It was quite interesting. And 
never having a hammer in my hand but i think after three or four months i got the hang of it but you would never want to hire me as your contractor i can tell you that well when did you um when did you start lutheran mercy care ministries kind of full-time um, that was in uh, 2014. So what happened after the, let me just, I'll, I'll, I'll speed it up a little bit. But then after three years in construction, I joined, uh, Deanna Myers referred me to Buchak Ranch. And I, I worked there for 11 years. And the um, David Brown, who was the owner at the time, he really encouraged me to get into the ministry. He even had his uh, pastor sent on me. He was a Presbyterian pastor who uh, took me out to dinner once and kept saying, hey, you need to do this. You have a great story of redemption and and you have a gift and you need to do this. So he kept pushing me. And then what happened is I, uh, Pastor Judge actually was the one who suggested that I enter the uh, lay deacon program. That was in 2008. And I went to the seminaries. I went to, for a visitation. I went to St. Louis and I went to uh, Fort Wayne. And St. Louis, I was excited initially, but then when I brought up the fact that I had a felony conviction, that was the end of that. They had no interest in pursuing that at all. Then I went to Fort Wayne, and I remember they, the faculty took us out to dinner, and I think it was Dr. Marquardt, maybe? maybe? I think he's passed away now. Yeah, but he, yeah, so. I was sitting next to him and his wife, and then the question came up, hey, how did you get into prison ministry? Well, then I had no choice then to tell him. And he said, well, you know, um, we're not opposed to uh, pursuing you. And, uh, you know, we would have to discuss it with the admissions uh, committee and all that. So they were totally a different approach than St. Louis. So that, um, but I, stick with, I stuck with the, uh, the, uh, the late deacon uh, program for four years. I went to Colorado Springs every, uh, every other week and uh, we had classes. It was a lot of fun. It was enjoyable. But then uh, that was never, I was never licensed as a deacon. So then um, the district president, District um, Anderson, he uh, he needed somebody in Moab. And he just appointed me as the vacancy pastor out there. Um, so that's, that's a different subject. But going back to the jail ministry, eventually I, I just ha- I felt a need that more needed to be done than just going to jail and have a Bible study with these individuals because we always lost contact with them on the outside. So that's when I decided to uh, start the Lutheran Mercy Care Ministries. And that was six years ago I began with that. Well, could you explain what you do for those in jail and what pastoral care looks like for them, um, both while they're in jail and then and then those who are outside of jail or who you're trying to keep from going back in, what, what does that look like? Well, in jail, you know, obviously I meet the people because they come to my Bible study. And then usually um, I tell them, if you want to have a one-on-one session talking to me and if you're interested, then please let me know. And then some um, do, and that's how we build a relationship. I mean, it's a relational re- relational ministry where you build relationship with individuals. And then that usually continues on the outside. Now, on the outside, a lot of times it's, um, you know, they look for help, you know, either being put up somewhere or with food or, or job referrals. But, you know... I stay in contact with them um, either over um, a dinner or a breakfast or a lunch and we talk about their lives but we also talk about faith issues um, somebody just told me this the other day I mean I was talking to somebody the other day and I said I said to them I'm a drug counselor on steroids and why do I say that on steroids <laughs> because I have 
God on my side, I guess you could say, but I, I'm bringing something different to the table. I mean, I've turned into a drug counselor because from all the experience I've had and some of the readings I've done, I know how what to say to people who have a drug addiction, but I bring more to the table. I bring forgiveness to the table because these people never will find forgiveness on this side of heaven because the people that they uh, deal with, their families, their kids, their wives, their girlfriends, they abuse them. It's mental abuse. And there's hardly any forgiveness there. And they find forgiveness in Christ, in their faith and the peace that they get from hearing the word and be in faith with, with Christ. That's what I offer. That's why I call it steroids. Because I can't imagine being a secular drug counselor uh, without the faith peace. Because you burn out. You totally burn out because you get frustrated um, uh, with, with, with their conduct, with, uh, with how things are going. And the only thing... The only thing I have or the peace I find is by uh, by reading the Bible, by having my faith, by uh, turning to God and pray. That makes the, that makes all the difference. Otherwise, you burn out. Well, you mentioned some of the some of the challenges, saying <clears throat> some of the frustrations uh, of working with addicts. What are some of the specific things that just make it a difficult group of people to minister to? What are some of the things that that are just a challenge? as you try to help them and try to bring them the word of Christ and try to proclaim to them forgiveness? What are some, what are the, some of those challenges look like? Well, the biggest challenge is lack of knowledge. I mean, most people, uh, you have to start out at the, at, the, you know, at the beginning. I mean, they don't know who Moses is. Or Now, the exceptions are the Catholics. Anybody that was raised in the Catholic Church has a very good knowledge. They were catechized. They know um, what the Bible is about, what, who Moses is, for instance. And they usually blame their grandmothers for it because they beat it into them. <laughs> but that is also concer concerning for the future because these grandmothers are going to die. Who's going to do this for the next generation? Um, so that's one. That's a, that's a big challenge. The other challenge is, you know, they all suffer from ADD. Uh, they, uh, their, their attention deficit uh, disorder, they... You know, they may pay attention while they're in jail. I call it jailhouse religion. And then once they leave, they leave God locked up behind. And those are huge uh, challenges. But the biggest challenge is their addiction. I mean, their addiction is, is just... And we don't have enough, um, you know, uh, rehab facilities or, or, uh, or um, mental health uh, services to uh, really tackle that program. So that's, I mean, and it's a trust issue. It's a huge trust issue. And for as far as um, lack of rehab and other things, um, I assume you're specifically speaking of Archuleta County um, here in the Pagosa area, but is that also kind of include the Durango area as well, correct? La Plata well, County? Well, Durango is a little uh, ahead of uh, us. They have a wellness court. And the wellness court is, um, offers more opportunities, plus they also have funding. And I was able to admit, get two individuals admitted to wellness court um, one, unfortunately, was um, just recently killed by his own brother. He did well for a while. He went to rehab and then he was sober or clean for maybe a year. And then things got, you know, just anyway, he went back to his old ways. And it was his brother who actually killed him. I mean, he's accused of it. We it's, I mean, I don't, don't know that for sure. So I went to the guy's, uh, to Philip's uh, funeral. It was a Catholic service. Actually, it was very well done. It was very nice. And uh, I told his mother, it's like he got the he got a royal send off, um, and his and now I'm actually uh, ministering to his brother, but we never really talked about the crime, um, but he you know he's 22 years old and 
could you imagine killing your own brother over a drug deal? So, uh, so that was one individual. And the other individual got the admitted uh, to wellness court too, but he just was kicked out just two weeks ago. So, but I mean, those are the frustrations uh, one has. But at least there's more possibilities through a wellness court for somebody to be successful, because you get two or three chances if you relapse. There is money to send them off to rehab. There is money for uh, housing. Um, it's just um, the wellness court is focused more on getting them well, hence the name wellness court, right? It's trying to get them right. on the right path rather than just punish them for for their addiction. They're trying to get them right. medical and other help to get them back on their feet so they can get back into society right. and be productive. And That's true. Um, and uh, it used to be called the drug court, so now they changed it to wellness court because that really fits their uh, their uh, you know their, their purpose. So Now you had mentioned that... Um, the people you work with, one of the challenges was they, they know very little about the Bible and the Christian faith. So how do you explain the gospel to them in a way that they'll understand it, considering that they, they have such a little background? Um, where do you start with them? How, how does that usually go when you're trying to at first kind of teach them about, about the Christian faith? Well, everybody knows Jesus, and that's where you start. You tell the story of Jesus, and... Uh, you tell them uh, what Jesus has done for us, dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, you talk about sin. Uh, that's a very easy subject to talk about because they're all in there. They have committed all these sins. They are actually suffering for their, uh, for their sinfulness. Um, that's how you start. And then you encourage them to remain in the Bible. You know, read, read. And, and if, if, you have, if you have troubles in your life, pick out the... Uh, the passages that you remember and that, that brought you uh, brought you a lot of comfort to, uh, and that brings some peace. But you know, on the outside, it's very difficult for them to stay on the track because they get, you know, they, they, they how should I say, the, um, the challenges of worldly life take over. And they usually forget about uh, Christ and, uh, and the Bible and their faith till they come back into jail and then it starts all over again. You uh, mentioned they were, um, they kind of feel the sting of the law already because of their situation. Do you find that that most of them do feel kind of crushed by the law already? They kind of look at their lives and realize that things are a mess, that things are not the way they should be, that their own sins have put them where they're at, or do they tend to become self-righteous? Or is it like, I mean, with most people, it's, You've got a spectrum, right? You've got people that feel the weight of their sin. They've already been crushed by the law. And then others who don't quite feel the weight of it yet, they become self-righteous and defensive. I'm assuming it's probably the same for, for them as well. Well, the ones who are self-righteous and defensive, they wouldn't come to a Bible study. Or if they do, then you end up in an argument with them. Um, usually people come to a Bible study because they have tried everything else. And they figure, well, let me try this thing called the Bible. Let me see if I can, uh, if, if that helps me to change my life. Hmm. And unfortunately, I have to say, the, the jails are full of uh, uh, volunteer, Christian volunteers and clergy that preach decision theology. So there's very little talk about um, forgiveness or what Christ has done for us. It's all about the law, keeping the law, um, using it as a guide uh, for your, for, for, to better your life. Which, 
you know, it's, it's, it's fine, but you can't forget the message that uh, Christ died for our sins on the cross and uh, that uh, that brings peace to you, to you to, I mean, to the inmate. And, um, you know, so anyway, that's... I, I saw that myself. I was in a, a prison doing a Bible study and um, since it's not local, I can share this story. Um, I won't get any trouble like you could. Um, but I did a Bible study and then I was touring the prison and someone came up to the chaplain and said, and it's someone who had murdered someone and they came up and were asking very sincerely, it seemed um, about what they had to do to be saved. And the answer that was given them was a very law based answer. Um, There was no message of forgiveness or eternal life or hope. It was very much kind of like, we'll do these things and you know, then you'll be forgiven. Cause the guy was essentially asking, can I still go to heaven even though I've murdered someone? And the chaplain didn't give him really much gospel. It was really law-based. So I've seen that myself where these guys are turned back on their own works rather than turned to Christ. Um, and it's a very sad thing to, to witness and behold. So, Well, I always tell the guys, look, this is a process. You have to, it's a process where the Holy Spirit works in your heart. And it just doesn't happen when you make a decision. Um, because then it's an issue of your mind. You made the decision and you and you used your, uh, you know, your uh, your selfish reasons to do this. I mean, God is not working in that kind of a process. And uh, so it's it's a it's a slow process. They have to be in the Bible. I mean, we know that faith comes from hearing the word. And uh, some that's the difference between a county jail and the state prison I go to in in New Mexico. When people are in for life or for a long period of time their faith is totally different from the people that are in a county jail in a county jail is like going to a, an emergency room uh, at the hospital and you feed them the word short term and then they're released and they go back to their old ways in prison i mean it's much more um, uh, gratifying to preach to them because they they are faithful followers of christ and uh, it's a different a totally different conversation with the ones that are in there for life, it, not all. I mean, some, you know, some are just resistant. Their um, their hearts, hearts are hardened, and they uh, are self righteous, and they think they know it all. And but uh, you know, you you touched on this earlier, but I wanted to maybe close with this. Um, you've mentioned some of the challenges, some of the difficulties, and even uh, like going to the jails, like triage, just trying to keep them mm-hmm. from from further damage and trying to help them when they get out and all the pitfalls there. And you mentioned a little bit earlier regarding yourself, but what is it that keeps you going with this ministry when it is so exhausting and demanding and so frustrating as, I mean, all pastoral ministry has its frustrations, its up and downs, but um, you're involved in one with a lot of people who aren't coming consistently to church. They're not, they're not part of a a normal congregation where you get to take care of them in those kind of ways. You're usually the shepherd running after them and and following them and, and pulling them out of pits constantly. And all pastoral ministry has that, but the ministry you're in has that. That's kind of all you do. You're all constantly doing those things um, on a daily basis. So what, what keeps you going with that? Why haven't you just thrown in the towel on this? Well, I mean, it's obviously it's my faith that uh, help gets me through this. Um, but also, you know, I came to this country, oh God, it's 45 years ago, and this country has been very good to me. I was very successful in New York. 
So now I'm just giving back in a sense. But also I have a story to tell because if I go, one of my biggest selling points is, is my story. Because if I go to the prison down in Santa Rosa, usually I go in and I don't tell them anything about my background till I give my talk, whatever the talk may be, but that always involves my story. And then after that talk, people, Hispanics, you know, gangbangers or black people, they all come up to me and go like, really? You? You of all people? You did this? I mean, that gives me hope because, you know, they, they think they're, the, excuse my language, the scum of the earth because they're in, in prison. And then here comes this, you know, this white guy who, uh, who had a big career or comes across as, as, as that type. And then all of a sudden we find out that he's just as sinful and uh, criminal just as the guys who are sitting there. And that's, that's a profound impact on the people. I bring, I have credibility. And that helps my ministry. Okay, now going back to your question, why do I still do this? Well, I, I, maybe we need to ask God. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just, um, I can't. Well, I'm also a people person. I like people, and I like to get involved in people's lives. And uh, and if I can make a bit of a difference with the help of God and through my faith, hey, I keep on going. Well, thank you, John, for taking the time to do this. Um, I think the members will find it very interesting. Anyone else who listens will find it interesting um, how you got into this ministry and what you're doing with it. Um, so blessings on your day, and thank you for taking the time to do this with us. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to Christ For You, Blessings on Your Day. 